welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Mark Stockley. Hello. Greg Fido Iden. Greetings. And Peter McKenzie. <laughs> Hello. And also mic'd up, unfortunately, is podcast producer Alice. Hi. Hi. Fortunately, fortunately. That's what I meant. How's everyone doing? Uh, Are you all and healthy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's as good as one can do in a, when you've been locked indoors for several days. Although I, I think, sadly, our, our listeners can't actually see us right now, but we've all basically built pillow forts now, haven't we? Trying <laughs> 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 to create some soundproofing while we do this episode. Well, last week I sounded like I was in a bathroom, so I am now in a den that my three-year-old son would be jealous of. Is the den in the bathroom? <laughs> Obviously, I'm still on the toilet. <laughs> no, I'm in a bedroom today. <laughs> I do have to say, with with respect to all the people that are struggling with self isolation, I do think I'm very well adapted to it. Like the lack of contact <laughs> with other humans, really screening <laughs> your whole life for this moment. You're yes, a bit I- of a prepper. <laughs> Mark's a prepper. Just a nice bit of a prepper. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of missing out on hugs. It's, oh. When you sit there, I'm like, I've not touched a human being. Okay, that sounds wrong. Oh. But I haven't touched another <laughs> human being. It's so long. It's not may the that, place, may, right? may that continue. It's not the place. <laughs> I feel the same. All of you who've got kids and a partner are very lucky. <laughs> Try having them. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like someone that. Yeah, <laughs> two kids under four yeah. who listen to this. So love you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, dears. When you say they'll listen to this, is that because they're in the same room now? <laughs> next door. Yeah. <laughs> so as usual, we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. Coming up on today's show, Peter's going to be talking about Dharma ransomware. Greg will be covering the tale of a US tour guide turned Chinese spy. And Mark's going to be wondering where thousands of dark web websites have gone. But before all that, here's a quick roundup of a few other stories from the last week or so. Apple's iOS 13.4 has been hit by a VPN bypass vulnerability. The flaw was caused by iOS not closing existing connections as it establishes a VPN tunnel. Obviously, uh, VPN use and remote working has increased significantly over the last few weeks, so it's a little bit bad timing. The issue affects iOS 13.3.1 as well as the latest version. Um, There isn't currently a fix for it, but there are two workarounds which we have laid out in our article on Naked Security, so go check the show notes for a link. Adobe has released an out-of-band patch to deal with a strange bug that could allow an attacker to delete a victim's files. CVE 2020-3808 stems from a time-of-check to time-of-use race condition vulnerability, which happens when two system operations try to access shared data at the same time. Adobe said that to exploit the flaw, an attacker would have to convince their victim to open a malicious file, but we all know that, that isn't never that hard. Happens, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who could pull off such a devilish trick? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, the bug affects Creative Cloud version 5.0 and earlier on Windows and is rated critical, so go get your updates now. I'm literally staring at the notification on my monitor telling me I've got updates to do and I'm feeling a bit sheepish Uh-oh. when I'm doing so. <laughs> should, yeah. I re- should I record the podcast or should I update my software? <laughs> Finally, it's almost as if people have a bit more time on their hands than usual because we've seen quite a few hoaxes raise their head in the last couple of weeks. We actually usually get, I don't know how often, maybe once every six months there'll be this huge spike in traffic on naked security and it's usually down to some kind of hoax or WhatsApp or Facebook. Uh, but we've had three in the last couple of weeks. So last week on the podcast, Fido spoke about the WhatsApp Martinelli slash Dance at the Post Pope hoax. I can't work out which bits fit in where, but it's just a lot of words, um, which warns you of a video that would hack your phone. Um, And then uh, this week, we warned of a fake bank fraud message that was spreading on WhatsApp. But then everybody started worrying about house party. And when I say everybody, I mean basically everybody. Um, Mark, do you want me to tell you what house party is? <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, would you mind? Me, me as well, actually, thank you. So you know the internet. <laughs> I've heard of it. Well, so house party is basic, yeah. So it's yeah, when basic, you have lots of friends. Yeah, if you've got uh, a lot of friends. why me and Mark haven't heard of it. You can't see them because we're all in lockdown, then you can get on this thing called House Party. It's a bit like Zoom um, or any other video conferencing thing, but you all it's, you can basically all see each other and you can play games on it. They've hooked up with Heads Up, which is another, um, which is like a app game that you can play. Um, and so there's lots of different games and stuff you can play on there and you can all just have a chat. Um, and uh, yeah, I thoroughly recommend it, Mark or Peter. If you find some friends, 
then you could you could go hang out on house party. Anyway, there was this big worry that it was up to no good. Um, people were tweeting that it hacked your phone and logged into your Spotify or accessed their bank accounts. They were saying it logged into Netflix and reset their password. Um, but we've seen no evidence that that's the case. It's actually owned by Epic Games, so it's not like it's some tiny outfit set up to scam people. Um, and House Party have flat out denied it on Twitter, saying all House Party accounts are safe, the service is secure, has never been compromised, and doesn't collect passwords for other sites. But it got a bit weirder um, on Tuesday morning, which is the day we're recording. Um, they tweeted, we are investigating indications that the recent hacking rumours were spread by a paid commercial smear campaign to harm House Party. We are offering a $1 million bounty for the first individual to provide provide proof of such a campaign um so yeah by the time this goes live who knows uh things might have changed um but we'll be keeping our article up to date on nakedsecurity.sophos.com but if anyone if any of you guys have got evidence of the smear campaign can you (laughs) maybe i mean i could do the million dollars yeah just pass it to me um because i think uh, that that's really interesting. I think there are areas of, yes. of uh, computing and computer security where there's probably quite a lot of stuff happening that we don't hear about. And mm. uh, that my, uh, on my mental checklist is negative SEO, which is this kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, like yeah. trying to affect other people's search rankings rather than trying to bring yours up, push other people's down and sock puppeting and things like that. We don't hear very much about that stuff but you think the incentives for doing it are really large i suspect there's probably quite a lot of this kind of thing going on but in this case i've got an idea what might be happening okay because i do i I have actually come across house party or i know somebody that has so when the lockdown started in the uk uh loads and loads of people were trying to work out how they were going to talk to each other Mm. Uh, and i know somebody that like they were on a whatsapp group and then suddenly everybody was telling everybody else to use this thing called house party which immediately made me very suspicious because i'd never heard of it nobody seemed to have heard of this thing and then all of a sudden everybody's supposed to be using it and everybody's telling everybody else it's brilliant and they should use it um so you know it comes out of nowhere what's going on and what happened is none of them knew how to work it properly so they all started appearing on each other's uh, um, feeds and seeing each other when they weren't expecting it and things like this. And it's very easy to look at that and go, wow, there's something really wrong with this software when very clearly it was just a bunch of people who were um, moving very fast and breaking things. Uh, now, I have an opinion on this one as well. Like when, when, so everyone that's suddenly panicking going, oh no, it suddenly got into my Spotify, almost implying they used the same password for their house party account as they <laughs> no did their Spotify. That, yeah. However, no, yeah, but if you're the kind of person people, who reuses your password, but if you're the kind of person who reuses your password, then it's very likely that your password was stolen from somewhere else in the million different mm. data breaches that happen every single day. So it could just be, you know, the, the just the, the kind of the low hanging fruit kind of people have been compromised in the situation, and they just sort of tied it to House Party because it's sort of that new strange app they just mm. suddenly started using, maybe. And I, I was I was checking it out on Twitter last night, and there were a lot of people just adding to it because it was a fun thing for them to do, so called fun thing. <laughs> so they were like making really crude jokes about it and stuff. It was it was obvious that they were just adding their voice to it without it there being a shred of evidence. So. Interesting. We'll have to see how it develops. On Twitter. I know, right? Who knew? <laughs> so uh, over to you, Peter. Despite you complaining I've typecast you, you're going to be talking about ransomware again. That's <laughs> <laughs> all you're useful to us for, Pete. Tell us exactly. about the ransomware else. What's been going yeah. on in the ransomware world this week, Peter? Uh, yeah, so this week um, the Dharma ransomware um has had its source code put up for sale on two Russian hacking forums. Um, Now, Dharma um, has been around since, well, it started in 2016, summer of 2016, but under the name Crisis. Uh, But then after its master keys, uh, master encryption keys got leaked in November of 2016, they rebranded to Dharma two weeks later. Uh, And Dharma is what we call a ransomware as a service, which we've talked about before. It's where uh, maybe you're a budding cyber criminal and you're, you're good at hacking into people's networks or delivering spam campaigns, and you just quite... I haven't quite worked out how to make a bit of ransomware. So instead of making it yourself, you uh, use someone else's. Um, Dharma, like uh, we've seen Gancrab and Sodonikibi, um, Revel, mm. um, 
also they they provide the service so they've gone and made the ransomware they've made the platform where you can um, log in and access the executables customize them uh, and then it's now your job just to put it on someone's machine and execute them and then the often the the payments and the communication side are also uh, handled by the the makers of the ransomware rather than the person that's actually deploying it so it's it's a very professional setup isn't it for people who've seen it yeah, and while when you talk about ransomware as a service, most people um, that are going to name one of them are going to list Gancrab or Sodonikibi because um, they're the ones that have sort of grabbed the most headlines, um, partly because they have a very well-presented platform. It's, you know, it's almost like they've got a, a professional marketing team because um, they have done very well on their marketing, it has to be said. But Dharma has been, longer, uh, been around longer for than both of them. Um, so it has been going for, well, four years now, nonstop. And uh, the FBI this year, um, when they were listing how much different ransomware groups have taken, they put Riak, which we've covered many times before, they put Riak at the top at 61 million, and that's dollars, and then Dharma in at second at 24 million. Um, however, they did point out those numbers are based on uh, ransomware attacks where people have paid and the attacks were reported to law enforcement. They highlight that these numbers are the absolute minimum that people have paid in total, and I completely agree with that. Um, We know, I mean, Riot could take... 60 million in a single month. So the fact that they're saying they've taken 60 million in the existence of Riot and 24 million for Dharma in their existence, those numbers are incredibly low, um, much, much higher in reality. Um, is, but yes, Dharma's the, is Dharma, doesn't that normally turn up in kind of smaller Yes, yeah, we that- actually we wrote an article. Um, actually, so you wrote it, Mark. Uh, I've just got it on my screen. I was giving I you say. a softball, Peter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually did. I thought you were genuinely forgotten about it, and you were just being <laughs> interested. But no, it could you were be either. Slightly, could be either. Right. He's very um, old. But yes, yeah, so it was written by you and uh, involved me and uh, Paul Duckling as well. Um, this was in, was it November 2017, uh, where we had an article called Ransomware Spreading Hackers Sneak In Through RDP. And we renamed RDP uh, to Ransomware Deployment Protocol. Hilarious. Ooh, you did that. Clever. our research on RDP, didn't it? Which you can it did, find yeah, on yeah. softhouse.com slash RDP. Oh. Okay, you done? Awesome. Right. by Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in Shameless that article... Um, in that article, we didn't actually list Dharma um, because there are or there were a few others doing very similar things to them at the time. But in essence, the article was written about Dharma. And um, they did start out like many did in 2016 by doing spam campaigns and exploiting websites and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then they quickly moved over like the rest of them to um, what we call the, the targeted ransomware attacks where they're getting into a network and manually having a poke around before deploying the ransomware. Bearing in mind, this is lots of different people. This isn't one group. There's however many different people. But they all seem to follow pretty much the same script where they get in through RDP, they locate the servers of interest, and then they attempt, if they can, to disable the antivirus software on them using various legitimate tools. Uh, things like um, I think we listed Process Hacker. Um, so it's a very, it's a fairly commonly used tool, um, but it has some powerful. Uh, options to uh, kill running processes, um, even when they're protected. And we've also seen them using um, RDP brute forcing tools. So there's one called NL Brute, which is quite commonly known. And we've seen them, well, we've we've assumed they've used that to get in in the first place, but then we've seen them putting that tool on some of the servers they've gained access to, so they can then use that victim as the place that is going to be doing the brute forcing on the next victim. So they can hide their so this location. Is the stuff that you find. This is the stuff you find lying around on the exactly. hacked servers, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, why why do the brute forcing from your own machine when you can use someone else's? 
So question, why would they um why would they be giving up, you know, selling the source code now, given they've been like so successful and like mm. clearly this has been a really valuable bit of tech for them, right? Like this is being a culprit in tons of attacks and for you know for years now. <laughs> yeah, well that's and I mean if they're making twenty-four million, you know, as a bare minimum, uh selling it for two thousand dollars does seem a little right. strange. Um now, in the the note there, or the post, doesn't, doesn't put on sound the like forums. the people who wrote it are selling it to me. Well, I'd say it probably is the people that wrote it, but you know they just don't care about selling it, probably because they moved on to something better. Um, we've seen that before, where you you know you get rid of your old ransomware or whatever it is because you literally don't care about it. You've created a new version you know, a new shiny oh. marketed version and you want everyone to move to that. So, I mean, there is, um, so uh, in, I think it was, when was it, 2017? No, 2019, spring of 2019, there was another ransomware that um, appeared called Phobos. And quite quickly, researchers noticed that it was almost identical to Dharma uh, and it is a ransomware as a service and roughly, there's sort of a 50-50 sort of market share between the two at the moment, Dharma and Phobos. Um, so it maybe Phobos is the new one and they're, you know, tired of supporting two versions. Um, so they're getting rid of Dharma potentially. Um, on the, um, on the, as a, the message they posted, um, which uh, I'm not sure if it's translated from Russian or is just poor English, um, but they do say, uh, good day, I want to sell the source of this product. The reason for the sale went to other topics. Um, so went to other topics, indicating they've moved on to something else, whether that be ransomware or something else, we don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it's not like they're retiring, um, like the uh, Gan Crab people did when they posted their message about getting rid of Gan Crab. They said they'd made their two billion and they were done. Um, these guys are just saying we've moved on to something else. If you want it, two thousand dollars, have it. So, who knows, really? Bigger fish so, to sorry, fry. Could we? Could could you say that number again? For, For Gan, Gan Crab, did you say yeah, yeah. two billion? Yeah. So Gan Crab retired. Um, Oh, was it July? I think give or take July last year, 2019. Um, so they had been around for, uh, about, uh, just over a year. Um, but very quickly became a, um, very well-known ransomware as a service. And they, um, basically put up a, a notice saying, um, they've retired and, um, you know, we're uh, closing down all businesses and, you know, you'll have to move on to something else. And um, in that, I'm just but trying to find the message. Um, in the message. Two billion. Yeah. Mm, so, crazy. Um, so, yeah, why Dharma is now up for sale at all? Uh, why for only $2,000? Um, who knows? And the fact that it is now for sale will most likely mean it will eventually get leaked, leading other people to be able to use it and create their sort of own versions of it. Uh, Dharma is considered quite an advanced ransomware in the, the terms of the encryption. Um, so it's never actually been able to decrypt um, Dharma ransomware other than when the master keys have been leaked. Um, but that, that hasn't happened for a few years now. Okay, so advice for stopping these type of attacks um, is the, the one we've covered many times. Don't allow RDP open to the outside world. Make sure you're using two-factor authentication. Don't use weak passwords. Uh, and as Mark did say, if you want to look at how vulnerable RDP is, go to sophos.com forward slash RDP. Uh, and then, it, I mean, it's a, these type of attacks, they take time. It's not, it's not a user clicking an email and then it's all over. They can take days, weeks longer sometimes to actually go from gaining access to encrypting the servers. Um, so watch for the signs, you know, look for detections. You know, if, for example, let's say Process Hacker is detected on your domain controller and you don't use Process Hacker, then take that as a very big warning sign and act on it.
I actually have to go and shut my door because there's a lot of child background noise. So just hold the line. Sorry, Alice. It's because you've made a pillow fort and he's very excited about it. <laughs> I know, it. he's going to be jealous. <laughs> Anna, we, we joined and saw you in your pillow fort. So mm. me and Greg basically just put yep. up a blanket behind us. So next week, now that we're prepped and realise that a pillow fort is mandatory, <gasps> competition. next week the competition is on. Yeah. Oh, it's going to get good. Weird. <laughs> it's going to get pause. Good. <laughs> it's going to stop being bad. <laughs> um, Alice, are you going to be doing a pillow fort? Sorry, y'all. I was on my, I was on mute. Um, I will, I could make a pillow fort if you'd like. Ruth, I mean, you, you sound you like you are in a pillow fort right now because we can't hear you. I'm sorry, my cleaner is hoovering and it means that I had, to, I had to mute myself. So I was like welcomed into the episode and then I couldn't really be oh, on it. Are you allowed cleaners? Yeah. yeah, as long as I'm hidden in my boudoir, which is why, which is why I had to do the... Um, the pre-pod thing on my bed. Not that I want to put people out of work at a time like this, but you're sat at home, you said you had nothing to do, no one to talk to, and yet you can't find time to actually vacuum your own place. If you're talking about the fact that I'd like to cuddle during lockdown, then I did think about cuddling my cleaner, but I'm not allowed near her, and that's why she's allowed in my house. That's that's That was before lockdown. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, after that little interlude, should we move on? Yeah. Mark, you were going to tell us why the uh, dark web's gone a bit darker this week. I am. It's even darker. I, I'm going to start with a bit of history. Oh, okay. Not a question. Ex- excuse my notes. Way too long. <laughs> so, this story begins in November 2018. And when hackers uh, broke into a dark web hosting service and wiped it clean completely. And in doing that, they removed about 30% of all the active sites on the dark web. So just out of interest, can you guess how many websites that would be? 30%. Yeah, was it? That's not a number, Peter. You can't just repeat. (laughs) Um, 30% of the dark web. This 12 team. It's it's a little bit more than that. 80 websites. 300,000. It's roughly between those two. So until just before that hack. <laughs> they were quite extreme. Roughly halfway. So until just before the hack in 2018, the hosting company, which was called Daniel's Hosting, because it was run by a bloke called Daniel Winson, oh, was home to about 6,500 dark websites which was about 30% of the dark web. And that included sites, this is going to shock you, relating to hacking, malware, drugs, counterfeiting, carding, and weapons. No. And possibly some other stuff that I'm not going to go into, which would be even Mm. worse. Uh, I don't know, but I do know that there were some... Gross things. Some gross things. So the usual stuff, basically, you know, the dark web writ large. Now, somebody broke in. We don't know how they did it, but the speculation was that they did it using a PHP zero day and they wiped the whole lot. They wiped the root account reportedly. um, And then they just eradicated all of these websites. And after they were gone, poof, there was no prospect of recovery for all of those people and all of their websites, because as Winsen explained at the time, there is no way to recover from this breach. All the data is lost per design. There are no backups. Now, you can imagine why a dark web hosting provider might not want to keep backups of the sites mm-hmm. that people run on their hosting service. And nobody knows who did it, although there was speculation that maybe it was an intelligence agency or a law enforcement agency. Um and I, I think we should discuss that later. Now, I want to bring you up to date because that's not the s- subject of my story today. My story today concerns the dark web's largest free hosting provider, uh, or what was the largest free hosting provider until very recently. It's called Daniel's Hosting because it's run by a bloke called Daniel Winson, who amazingly <laughs> resurrected his hosting outfit from that total ah. disaster. From the flames of the 2018 dumpster fire rose Daniel's Hosting Daniel. once more uh, until, according to Zednet, at 3.30 in the morning on the 10th of March, when... 
Hackers broke into Daniel's hosting and wiped it clean. Oh, Who could Daniel. have predicted it? <laughs> removing <laughs> removing 7,600 sites from oh. the dark web at a stroke. Shockingly, Winston doesn't know how the hackers did it. And he's not really planning to spend much time uh, finding out. Uh, and he doesn't intend to bring his hosting service back for a third time because actually it's, this is just a hobby for him. So he's just running a free hosting service to let people do absolute moral filth in his mm. spare time um, because that's what he Why? likes to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play speculation here. Now, are, like there, are, there any fans, are there any Monty Python fans in on this podcast? No. <laughs> we're English. So on, that means we have to be. I think it has to go hand in hand with like Monty Python, don't you? Otherwise, you're not so, allowed in the club. This, this just reminded me of the scene from Monty Python's Holy Grail where the king is explaining to his son that he said he was going to build a castle on a swamp. And everybody told him it was a crazy idea, but he built it anyway just to show them. And then it sank into the swamp. So he built another one just to show them. And then that sank into the swamp. So he built another one and that sank into the swamp. And then he built another one. And that's. Uh, that's Daniel's hosting, that is. Uh, the question is, who do you think did it? Like, who's got an interest in wiping out all of these sites? Because this is this is not accidental. Yeah, exactly. it, it looks as if in both uh, hacks, what happened was that somebody kind of came in through the front end. So that somebody found a weakness in, uh, in one of the websites and they were able to use that to get themselves to sort of elevate their privileges, to break in and elevate their privileges to a point where they were able to access all of the websites and wipe all of the databases uh, behind all of those websites. But they weren't able to compromise the server in its entirety that, that those Some kind sites of moral were hosted. Vigilante, a, then. Have you ever heard of a moral vigilante on the internet who didn't then go and make an enormous performance out of it? And, and yeah. tell they're deleting and- evidence there, right? Like they're not even if you're trying to be a vigilante, you're trying to put these guys down and stop what they're doing. But all you're doing is effectively covering their tracks. I mean, that's crushing law enforcement's abilities to to investigate this afterwards. I mean, yeah, it's the destruction of evidence if there's crimes taking place here. But I think I don't, don't. Most of the vigilantes out there are actually in it for some sort of self-aggrandizement, and they they put flaming skulls yeah. all over it and, and tell yeah. everybody that what they what the name of their group well, was and why they've the done it and links through to their the uh, ones manifesto and all that nonsense. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, vigilantes. No, I, I would agree. It could be. It did occur to me that it might be Winston himself, just because it it sounds like managing this stuff is is quite burdensome. Uh, I mean, I don't I mean, get if he's doing it for a hobby, I mean, he's not even getting money. I mean, I understand ransomware people are, you know, getting money from it, but he's doing it as a hobby. Yeah, what's in it for him? What, yeah. Why? Why bring this kind of stuff to the world if you're not even getting money for it? Well, I, I kind of have sympathy. I know I, I have some sympathy with the idea of, uh, you know, in order to have a system, in order to have uh, a system of encryption and technology which is essentially neutral, that works like the dark web, um, you've got to have lots of different people taking part. And you kind of have to not care about what passes through the wires. Yeah, like that's you, you mm, can't yeah, simultaneously mm. say we've got unbreakable encryption, but we're going to monitor everything to make sure it contains good stuff. So I do kind of – I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could tolerate I don't think I could live with myself if I was that person, but I do understand that that you can want to promote Tor and you can want to promote the dark web because it's a, it's a a neutral thing and that you've got to take part in order to do that. Um, So you end up being complicit. Uh, But I don't know. I think that's a good question. Now, what about the speculation that maybe it was law enforcement or an intelligence agency? What do you think about that? Why would they wipe it without? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, if anything, they would want to put something on there to start collecting evidence, right? Yeah, you know, connecting, you know, trying to figure out or reveal. Well, maybe they have been using these services, who's hosting it, and so on. They're, 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 they're you know, they're, they're, they're quite well experienced in this kind of area, and they yeah. have processed. Like they would want to acquire the physical hardware. They want to figure out where it is. Destroying all of that is destroying evidence. I mean, I think this is someone who either hosted it for a, you know, you. This is a speculation, right? But I feel it's someone who used this service either to do something dodgy 
or to share some really dodgy information or whatever, and then they need to destroy everything. So, you know, free hosting provider, great, means they can go and give someone else the risk of having whatever dodgy thing they're trying to pass off to someone else or share or who knows what. And then once they're done with it, trash the whole service so that when, and it's, you know, law enforcement's doing a pretty good job recently to trash, you know, take down these things. Mm. This means that when law enforcement inevitably catches up with Daniel and his service provider, there's no evidence left behind to show what they did using the service. That's that's what I think anyway, but totally speculating. It could be someone just wiping out the competition. You know, if you're a, a dark web drugs shop and you're hosted on a different service, but your main competitor is hosted on Daniel's, you find the vulnerability in Daniel's and wipe them out. There's your competition gone. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I think that's quite persuasive. Or a rival hosting company. Yeah, because you I mean, think like if you're just r- randomly scanning the the web for vulnerabilities, you know, maybe you you happen upon this. Um, but as we see every week with you, Peter, that you know, one of the things that people do in response to finding that kind of vulnerability, if you get access to all these databases, is to go and encrypt them and demand money, and that isn't what happened here. So you kind of feel like they either didn't care that all those databases got deleted or that was the purpose. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Yeah, because if they had the access, you're right, they could have made money from it, but they didn't. Well, that we we'll, know of. we'll never know. No. Right? I, and what and Daniel said he doesn't know how it happened. Yeah. No, he doesn't. And he didn't. So, I mean, you know, I've not spoken to him. I've only read uh, words that have been attributed to him, but he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to care that much, which no. I, I guess is, is kind of appropriate and understandable given the burden of looking after this stuff and the fact that it was free. And I think, uh, you know, if you were looking for a dark web hosting provider, uh, you might want to consider whether or not a free one is uh, mm is the right one for you and possibly if it's called uh, Daniel's hosting that you might you might wonder whether or not keep your own uh, back there's up, a likelihood <laughs> that your website may disappear roughly every um, 16 to 18 months <laughs> but I think one of the really interesting things about this story that struck me the first time that uh, Daniel's hosting was hacked is it's a really great example of just how small the dark web is and we know that it's small. There are multiple sources that tell us that the dark web is really small. Um, there are at least uh, two different groups who have done scans using different technology of the dark web, and they come up with numbers in the range of tens of thousands of nodes. And then you know you've got this hack taking out uh, you know the, the previous hack taking out six thousand five hundred sites, accounting for at the time, 30% of the dark web, which is kind of implying the same sort of size, you know, which we compare that to the regular web. Would you want to which which explain what the difference is of websites? between dark web and the deep web? Because some people will go, words out. I heard that the deep web was massive. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's where an- some of the confusion comes in, that people confuse the dark web with the deep web. But also I think because of the amount of news coverage that the dark web gets... Because, you know, although it's very small, the things that happen on it are sometimes very, very bad. And so it can seem to be bigger than it is. Um, so what's the dark so, web and what's the deep web? So the, the deep web is just the bit of the web that search engines don't bother to index. And it's right. either because they can't, because those bits are behind a login, or because they choose not to, because there is nothing commercially in it for them. So you can say you can say to Google, I don't want you to index my website. And Google will respect that because there's nothing in it for either party to, to mm. break that. And if you're Facebook and loads of your pages are behind uh, logins, then Google can't index those. And if you have things like um, staging websites and development websites that you don't want Google to index because they're not they're not live. That's not what you want your customers to see. You know, so the the, the deep web is this enormous part of the web that is not indexed. So you'll never find it by searching on Google. And that's very, very large. And bad things do happen on that. And the FBI have search engines for trying to find and index things on the deep web uh, that they can't find through things like Google and DuckDuckGo. Uh, And the dark web is this very, very small um, chunk of the web, which is accessible through Tor and to a lesser extent through things like I2P, which is a a similar uh, system. And Tor uses encryption to hide the IP address of both the person browsing and the sites that they're browsing. And because you can't see the IP address, 
you can't tell which bit of the web that uh, site that you're using is on. You can't see who owns it. Uh, you can't find who the upstream providers are, so you can't complain about it and get it shut down and things like that. So the, the dark web is all about providing anonymity, and that's what the darkness refers to. Nobody knows who anybody else is or where anybody else is. Well, that's the idea. Mm. And so that's a really, if you, if you want to do very, very bad things indeed, that's the obvious place that you would gravitate to. But that's well, another way. Sorry, I was going to say, there's another part also with the, when it comes to the, the dark web, which is that not only are they just people using Tor and encryption, but it's an overlay network. It, it's a, basically like another internet that runs over the internet uh, using, you know, using the public internet as just a, a mechanism of transport. But also people can hide stuff and run services entirely within Tor. So you could stand up a whole website that only exists within Tor, is only addressable and reachable if you're in the Tor network and it's fully encrypted. So like someone could have a computer computer, you know, uh, in, you know, in a data center somewhere, but it's completely locked away and you can only reach it through the Tor network and it could be running websites and services and so on. And so Google and everything will never find it. It won't show up on, on, on anything like that. Normal internet infrastructure won't even route you to that computer. And so that's the other crazy thing about the dark web is that there's entire hidden ecosystems of websites and web services and, and so on that exist and on this kind of overlay network piggybacking on the internet and yeah and i think that's kind of where like in this instance you know this is some guys running a hosting provider that provides websites that can only be reached via tor and not via the internet so like you'd never find it in google you couldn't google search and stumble over this website you'd have to be inside tor and know how to get to it and that's kind of why what makes it so dodgy you know because of course bad guys think that they're kind of invisible and so they use them and that's where all this illicit stuff takes place on the dark web mm. although interestingly the same rules apply inside the dark web as they do on the regular web in terms of uh indexing because there are tor to web gateways or web to tor gateways um that will allow you to search from the regular web inside the dark web so it just is on the regular web you if you don't want uh, google to find you you have to make sure nobody links to you and you have to have a, a robots.txt file that says don't index me you actually have to do the same thing inside the dark web as well because it is possible for search engines to reach in and, and index things and uh, through these gateways yeah, I mean, that's someone being a real annoying, well, not annoying, but like that's someone effectively breaking the security model on purpose, right? It's kind of like someone setting up a proxy for my Gmail account so everyone could just search my emails, right? It's like, it's not how it's designed, but I guess someone could be really annoying and do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I think it's interesting because it does show you how small the dark web is. But the other really interesting thing about the story is it shows you how centralized the dark web is. And obviously one of the points about... Um, uh, the internet is it's a decentralized system. So the internet is designed to sort of root around problems. I think the original idea was that you could kind of nuke part of the internet and it would carry on working. And um, that's where the idea originates. And um, the dark web, in order to be uh, anonymous, you want to be as disconnected from everybody else as you can be, because the more connected you are to other things, the easier it is to find clues about who you might be or where you might be. Uh, and what this shows you is, and this has been repeated again, particularly in um, the work done by Sarah Jamie Lewis, who does, um, who uh, used to do lots of uh, dark web uh, scanning stuff, is that actually the dark web is incredibly centralized in certain ways, that there are a small number of very, very big hosting companies who, can, who have um, lots and lots of the dark web's websites in one place, in, in one uh, physical data center. And also that there's a lot of centralization in terms of the number of computers that are used to route uh, traffic through the dark web uh, and where those computers are and who owns those computers. Thanks, Mark. Greg, you're going to tell us a James Bond type tale. Um, James Bond certainly lives a far more exciting life than this person does, but this kind of makes me think that James Bond's maybe just a slight elaboration of what spies really do. No. Actually, normal spy work's not that cool and exciting. Don't um, say but that. the story's kind of fun, though. So um, I am quite excited because it's about real spies. I think this is like the second story we've talked about spies. I think me and Mark, we talked about that piezoelectric speaker I got really excited about and how that was it's all. It's just a massive disc that you stick under the table. It was. Oh, it was yeah. basically just a fancy yeah. microphone, it- but it was all spies, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Okay, so, 
So uh, this story, uh, it was a, a tour guide slash Chinese spy gets four years for SD card dead drops, uh, written, but written by naked security writer Lisa Vass. Um, so this is like this story about a 56-year-old uh, naturalized U.S. citizen who was w- working as like a, a tour guide in San Francisco. And he's been sentenced to four years in prison for being a Chinese spy. Now, Ooh. you're going to have to for- forgive my awful Chinese pronunciation, but I'm going to give it a go. So I think it's Xiu Hua. I'm sorry if I got the wrong. Peng. I'm, he's also known as Edward Peng. So thankfully we can just call him Ed from now on. Because uh, <laughs> I really do apologize. That's uh, that's you. That, that sounds really hard to say. Um, so he's been sentenced for four years and had a $30,000 fine for acting as an agent of the People's Republic of China, uh, specifically their Ministry of State Security, the MSS. So this all kind of began because some FBI agents were conducting surveillance on Peng after one of their own double agents that's inside MSS. Come on, that's really cool, right? FBI's got a double agent already inside the Ooh. Ministry of State Security. And they found out from within inside the MSS from some of the officers there that this person, Ed, you know, uh, uh, Edward Peng, uh, had family and business dealings in China and could be relied on, and thus began the FBI's kind of investigation into them. So uh, between the years, I think it was June 2015 and July 2018, um, Peng kind of pulled off a whole bunch of these dead drops at hotels in like California and Georgia. What are um, dead drops? Yeah, it's probably a good thing to explain those. So dead drops are like the kind of the true way spies like share information. I think you've all seen that movie where there's the two people meet on the bench, the guy reading the big newspaper. They say, you know, when does the narwhal bacon? The other guy goes, the narwhal bacon's at midnight and they exchange briefcases and go their own way. <laughs> yeah, we've um, all seen that movie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but what's Hang actually on, going- I've, I've watched some films and I'm pretty sure that spies don't do that. I think, don't they? They swan into the hotel lobby, tell everybody their name, put on a dinner uh, suit. Yeah, Bond, and they James go and, Bond. They go and play. <laughs> Uh, some sort of uh, high stakes casino uh, gambling yeah. whilst yeah. drinking a really weird cocktail, right? Mm. Make sure that anyway. everyone knows they're there and remembers them. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you shoot a load of guns, probably use some big laser spy gadgets, explode some things, waste a really good Aston Martin. Um, but yeah, so, but no, instead, the, the dead drops are these really kind of um, simple things like, so the spies never meet each other, so they can't sort of reveal who else is a spy. So they'll, you know, one spy goes to this location, in this instance, one of the hotels, they might, you know, if they're maybe exchanging money or SD cards, you know, they'd strap it to the, like the underside of a drawer in the hotel, like in the, in the, in the hotel room, and then they'd leave. And then later on, one of the other spies would then come into the hotel room, go to this drawer, you know, feel underneath, pull out the package, put something else there. And then that's it. It's kind of a bit boring. The idea of taking highly classified information and then sticking it to a cupboard in a hotel room not knowing who the next guests of that hotel room might be, you know, family with kids. I assume I mean, they I keep some of the things booked, right? And they swap it with, they swap the, <laughs> the rooms under one person's name and then they, they keep that room and someone else goes into the same room. I don't know. I mean, there was some, so on YouTube, uh, I think the Justice Department actually posted uh, the CCTV, like the Sting camera operation they did in one of these hotel rooms. So you can actually Ooh, see Peng going see. into one of the drawers. And I got to say, it's the most unspy like exciting thing you've ever seen. It's just like some guy interacting with a drawer in a hotel room. So I know some of you are listeners are going to go out and watch it. Be prepared. Super boring. I mean, if you haven't seen someone pull out a drawer in a hotel before and then, you know, put it back. <laughs> kind of spoilers, right? Um, but yeah, so, so the tank was all open up and then they fall into a shark tank. With, with freaking laser beams, right? Attached to their heads, isn't it? Right? No, that's awesome. Powers. <laughs> So Peng was on his way to pull off, I think, the seventh dead drop uh, that that he was doing, and that's when he got busted. So this was in, like, September 2019. Um, I was going through, I actually found uh, some of the complaint stuff that's from the article. So, yeah, so basically, Peng goes to a hotel. Hang on, let me go. Yeah, goes to a hotel and retrieves a package that was left for him there. The package contains a secure digital memory card, an SD card, right? Uh, The next day, Peng drives to San Francisco International Airport and flies directly to Beijing, China, in Beijing, Peng meets with agents of the Ministry of State Security, including the People's Republic of China official with whom Peng had been communicating, and delivers the SD card to MSS. Uh, and and, that, and then he gets he gets given some money, goes home, and it's, 
it's I mean, I know spot so it might maybe 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 I'll just write down. Yeah, like I you know, I've been led to believe from decades (laughs) of watching awesome spy movies. I mean, in England we've got the James Bond series, it's like a British staple, you know, it's like part of our diet, like one of your six five veg I clearly don't know how much veg you meant to have every day but I'm <laughs> thoroughly aware of how many James Bond movies you meant to watch one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and it, so there, it, I mean this is the truth right you know this you know one spy is the one who must be acquiring the data then that's probably done to a dead drop and then that person then moves it somewhere else and then that person will put it into another dead drop and swap money for it and blah, blah, blah. And it's just this chain of people, mm. you know, and this person's effectively just a mule, you know, collect the data, collect the money or whatever and, and go back and forth between China. Uh, but I think what's what's really interesting, like of all, you know, of all the the – Sorry, of all the kind of ways to get caught, you know, if you're a tour guide as a, your cover story, I that could be a better cover story. Because when the FBI went to his house to sort of investigate this person, he found that they had a Lexus, a Fiat, and a Mercedes parked at the house and registered <laughs> either him or his wife. And I'm like, you've got a Lexus and a Mercedes. And you're like, what do you do? I'm a tour guide. <laughs> yeah, I just show people like that's the that's the Golden Gate Bridge, that red thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's not the yeah. best cover story. Perhaps they could have come up with something better than being a tour So when guide. you said they weren't like James Bond, in a way they were a bit like James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, at least they had the cars. I don't know if they had the cool sort of uh, uh, parachutes and ability to drive underwater, but I guess we'll never know because uh, uh, Peng's being sentenced now. I think the most surprising thing about this story is that spies have never heard of Dropbox. Seriously, save yourself. Save yourself a plane flight. (laughs) The one. There's one other fact I quite enjoyed about this is about the double agents of the FBI. So the FBI has a double agent in MSS, right in the in sort of the Chinese uh, security services. Well, they did. Well, they did. But (laughs) so then they're 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 referred to in all the uh, the court case as the source, which when you see it as the source of information, that makes sense. But of course, when I read it and I'm a child, I read it as like the barbecue source. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be known as the source. (laughs) You know, that's so different. (laughs) I just think of it, that's what celebrities do when when they want to spill some secrets about themselves. They just say it's a source and they just Ah, inform the newspapers. If I do that, I'll get more Twitter followers. During the course of this, I mean, you know, did you say he's been put in prison for four years? It's only four years, which so I think yeah, is not probably because they've revealed some other information, but that's not going to be it, part of the court case. It seems be a like, deal. I mean, I'm no expert in this stuff, but if you're going to reveal in court that you've got a double agent mm. in your enemy's camp mm. for a guy who gets put away for four years, that doesn't seem like a great... Deal. trade-off we can only uh kind of only uh, uh speculate but i guess we can assume as well that there was some kind of deal going on here like four four years thirty thousand dollars for stealing like nation secrets and tra- you know and, and being yeah. a spy and delivering it you know flying back and forth to china and taking cash from from you know the chinese government for exchanging secrets and so on there's some bigger work at play here you know there's a there's a bigger narrative that we're sadly not able to see and perhaps we'll never see um you know we're just seeing like this one little one little snapshot of this much bigger case, right? There must be, I mean, they're, they're going to have spies in each other's uh, organizations. I mean, the whole double agent thing at least is kind of cool. I remember seeing that in a James Bond movie. So we got some of that in this. <laughs> but anyway, so, so yeah, sorry if it wasn't the coolest spy story. Russian lady. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. So what's your advice um, for protecting against this, Greg? My advice, my <laughs> advice for protecting against go on spy. Yeah, if you're a spy and listening to our amazing podcast, firstly... Dropbox! Yeah, yeah, Dropbox, tour. I think we talked about some of that. No, uh, in all but fairness, if you are tempted by a tour, give. I would recommend that you avoid uh, Daniel's hosting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jenna, if you're a spy and listen to this podcast, I don't think you can get the best advice. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's not much we can say. This is uh, this is just a kind of a fun little news story, I guess. If you are a double agent uh, and you're working against the various nations, uh, like you know the American and British governments and all that, be a good person. Don't be a naughty spy. Mm. Uh, 
maybe yeah is that some advice can we give that very good advice greg yeah i think that anyone that was thinking of becoming a naughty spy will need that advice yeah i will chastise you personally for being a naughty spy (laughs) (laughs) changed my life around with listening to greg idden on the naked security podcast (laughs) he called me naughty and i felt very bad Well, nations around the world, you can thank me later. You can find me holed up in my weird pillow fort in my home. Uh, thank goodness for the duvets. Thank so goodness, yeah, and the straight jacket. I think they're going to have to put me in in a week's time, yeah. Oh, dear. Right, well, thank you, everybody. Uh, Mark, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I've discovered Instagram, and my oh. hens have moved from Twitter to Instagram. So you it's can as find if me. Someone at, gave you that advice a while ago, isn't it? Go on. Where are you? At Internet of Hens. <laughs> Do we say at when it's Instagram? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Internet yeah, of Hens. Yeah. On Instagram. What about the Wonderful. bees? Can we find them on Bumble? Oh. <laughs> oh. Interestingly, the bees oh. have their own account on Instagram. At, at, a friend of mine opened it last night as uh, he got so fed up with seeing bee pictures or mm. pictures of cocoons on my Instagram account um, that he opened up. He, he, he's done some fakery on me, basically. You have to go and look and find out. I think that's a story for Intriguing. next week's podcast, Mark. Or not, but yeah. How you were hoodwinked on uh, Instagram. Peter, where are you? Uh, on Twitter. On at social Alt- media. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He's in a pillow fort. <laughs> Twitter I'm at Alt Shift Print Screen. Friday. Uh, also known as Greg. Uh, no. I, just in case people don't know where. Oh. Uh, you can find me on the uh, Twitters as uh, Sec Bug, short for Security Bug. You can also find me on Reddit as you, you know, slash you slash Sec Bug as well. And I'm at Anna Brading on Twitter. And we are, of course, at Naked Security on Twitter. Thank you, producer Alice, for your podcast editing and for keeping us all in line and for your your uh, amazing contributions throughout this episode. What oh, is I'm this? Sorry. I didn't really <laughs> I, get involved. I'd like a thank you as well. <laughs> I said thank you. Mark's been wanting a thank you from me since about 2008. It's, that's all you're getting. Thanks, Mark. You're doing a great job. <laughs> and a paycheck. <laughs> exactly. What more do you want? Um, uh, sorry, Alice, do you want to say where you are on uh, social media? Oh, okay. You can find me as Ali Rouge on Twitter. I'm very interesting to follow. Of course. Uh, don't forget to... Thanks for everybody agreeing. Thanks for that awkward... <laughs> sorry, I muted I myself and looked at cold. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to subscribe rate and review our podcast we've ever had a few nice reviews lately so thank you if that was you duck's been doing facebook live videos on his uh one allowed form of exercise a day so definitely go check them out and make it worth duck's uh standing still in a in a country field worth it um he's also restarted his 60 second security videos which cover the top infosec news in one minute which you can find on our youtube channel as well as instagram twitter and facebook don't forget to visit the mothership at nakedsecurity.sophos.com and until next time stay Stay secure and under a duvet